yes to Jesus and following through. So God's good. Well, this morning, I really believe that God has something special for you. And I know I could probably say that every Sunday. I wouldn't anticipate that. But I, I do really believe that God has something for all of us today that can be a shift in our thinking that could take us into a whole new realm and level. In fact, a place where I think God had intend, has intended for all of us to be in our encounter and walk with God. Um, we've been taking a look at Joshua. And the interesting thing about much of the Old Testament, it's about war. I mean, it's more than that, obviously. It's about God, and we learn a lot about God. But there's a lot of battles that go on in the Old Testament. Have you noticed that? And those battles, I mean, God could have taken from history anything, you know, in, as he, uh, the Holy Spirit wanted to inspire the writing and teaching. And what we could have had in the Old Testament was, um, would have been completely different if God wanted it to be different. But he chose to choose a certain element of history to teach us things that, that would be beneficial to us in life. And so when we're going through what we've been going through, the book of Joshua, we're seeing that there is, this is definitely um, a series of battles, but it's for a particular purpose. And what we see in these battles is that Israel is taking the promises of God. So the, the, the thing that we learn is that there are certain battles that have to take place for us to, in fact, um, grab hold of the promises of God that are already promised to us. The land is promised to them already before they even go into battle, but they still go into battle because they have to obtain what God has already promised. And so what we see is that, and then we see this, um, the, the advancement of God's kingdom. Now, both of those elements are important to us as we're walking in our walk with God. That there are battles that will help us to grab a hold of the promises of God and obtain those many promises that God wants for us. But also, there is an advancement of the kingdom of God. Now, here's, I want you to, to catch something that I believe that is found in this, these texts over and over again, and the church has missed it as a whole, has missed it for many, many years. And I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying every church. What I am saying as a whole, we have missed a crucial element of understanding these principles and battles. And that is this. The church looks at, and you might find yourself in this, that whenever we say, hey, there's a battle, or some, someone says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a battle, we always think of, think of uh, a defensive posture in battle. We always think of that if there's a battle, the enemy's attacking, and that's the way it's communicated. The enemy's attacking, the enemy's attacking, the enemy's attacking, so we have to fight, and we have to learn to fight. And there's spiritual battles and spiritual fighting. And if you're new to this, 
in, in, you know, in, in your walk with God, um, you might not understand that this, these battles that God has, that, that, that uh, we fight are spiritual battles. I mean, we're not, you know, I'm, I, I, God's not ta- saying, you know, go down to the nearest gun, uh, you know, gun store and purchase and get ready to fight that way. I'm not against you having a gun, by the way, or I don't think God is either. Um, just don't go shooting a bunch of people, okay? Point being that um, the, the point is that we make a huge mistake when we only think in terms of being on the defense when it comes to battle. Because all of these battles, in fact, what we're seeing is this is not being on the defense. This is being on the offense. They are going into, a, you know, they're not sitting on the other side of Jordan and going, boy, I hope they don't attack us. They're crossing the Jordan with their weapons, and they are on the move to attack. They're on the offense. You know, I've learned in, in sports, I, all, all of you have ever, you know, you, you play sports, you understand that you want to be on the offense as much as possible. Like if you, if you play street basketball, all, all of you who have done that understand that you can play a game like, you know, like normal basketball, you shoot, if you, you, know, you shoot, then the other team gets the ball, then they're on the offense and it goes back and forth. In street basketball, you can go winners out. And, it, and winners out is simply this. If you make the basket, you get the ball back. And the other guy stays on defense. So it's, it's possible that you could make all the baskets till the game, you know, whatever the score is that, that you end with, and the other guy never actually shoots the ball. That's winner's out. That's the place of offense. And in whatever sport you play, in baseball, football, whatever, you want to be on the offense because that's how you score. That's how you defeat the enemy, you know, or your opponent. In this case, the church spends most of its time thinking about how we can battle on defense. We're mostly looking at, in fact, the call to spiritual battle or warfare, you know, taking the weapons of our warfare. And, and we'll learn a lot more of that for those of you who have never really learned about spiritual warfare. We'll talk about the weapons that God has given us. But the point is that too many of us, it's kind of like something happens in our close circuit of people that we love. Something happens and now we'll go to war. Or at least to the elements that we know of war. One of the ways we war is prayer, you know, and we worship and we, we press in. There's more, way more to spiritual warfare than that. But, but that's where we, we end. Usually that's where we kind of rise up and we're, we're, we're in a defensive mode. Something's happening. There seems to be something coming from the kingdom of darkness. Something is happening to our life. We rise up and now we want to, hey, we want to get everybody praying. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we're in it. We have to be. But that's not where we're supposed to operate most of the time. Where we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be the people with the ball, right? We're the ones supposed to be on the move. We're supposed to be putting the enemy at bay. There's, the enemy is supposed to be, you know, in a defensive mode. And it's turned around. 
And we got to get back on track on this. We need to learn our proper place when it comes to this battle. And if you, listen, you can read most of the Old Testament and it can mean nothing to you. Other than there's a few miracles and you go, okay, God did some cool things. And not really understand that every part of it is supposed to be for our learning, our teaching. We're supposed to be able to read some of these stories that we're reading today. And, and it's interesting because um, if you read, as I will, commentaries and so forth, the title that comes to this chapter is usually something like this. The day the sun stood still. You know, there's, I think there's a movie like that. But, but that's the title. As if, and we're going to read about that miracle and it's part of this. But as if that's what this is about and it isn't. In fact, what this is about, if we want to put it, it's five kings in a cave. I'm going to tell you just ahead of time. It's five kings in a cave. We'll get there. Let's take a look at Verse 1, chapter 10. Now it came to pass when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it. And as, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. And they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai, and then catch this because you want to remember this, and all its men were mighty. All its, all, all its men were mighty. Verse 3. Then, therefore, Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horam, king of Hebron, Byram, king of Jeremoth, Jephia, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon. Now, this, this, these guys show up three times in this text. That's the last time I'm going to read it all. I'm not going to read all these names. Next time, I'm just say them. Okay. <laughs> Saying, "Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel." Now, what's going on here? Well, in the last chapter, um, there was these, these five kings and, and, and their small nations um, got news. They were, rec- they were watching what Joshua was doing, what the children of Israel were doing, and they saw that God was helping them, and they were defeating one after another. And so they made a plan. They, they started planning how they're going to fight the Jews, fight the Israel. But one group, the Gibeonites, they thought, man, we've been watching them. Their God is fighting for them. And, and as, you, as I told you to take note, these are not wimpy guys. This is not a wimpy army. It says these were great warriors. They're, they're, they are recognized as being courageous fighters. So it's not that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going, you know, we can't take them and we've we got to try to do something. They were recognizing that the power that they have 
is not just human power, that God is with them. And because of that, they came up with a plan. And it was pretty smart. They, they dressed up like they, um, they were, you know, had been traveling for a long time, got moldy bread, and, uh, and made it appear like they were coming from a long distance. And then they go, and they, and they come to the, the Jews there, and they say to them, we're from a far, far, far away place, okay? And, and give them the impression that they're from a long ways off, and we want to make a covenant with you. We'll be friends. We're from far away. And, it, and, and so the Israelites think, well, they're far away, and we don't want to mess with them, so let's have a covenant, because we're, we're about our land, that what, we're take, what God has given us. Well, it was a trick. And they ended up with that covenant that they made, and now the Jews, have, there's an alignment with the Gibeonites. Now, the Gibeonites were part of this, these nations. There was a city of people that made this covenant, and now they want to attack them because they made this covenant. In some ways, the Gibeonites remind me of the Gentiles who come in by faith. Now, I love the Gibeonites, even though the way they did it was, you know, it was deceptive, and I, 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 you know, you can't approve of the way they did it, but you can approve the fact that that they did it. Because they recognized who God was. They had faith. They recognized the God of the Israelites and said, I want to align with them. And so I kind of like those guys. And God then, because they did that, and because the covenant was made, God required of the Jews to keep the covenant. They couldn't say, well, they tricked us, and so I don't want to keep. No, God required of them to keep the covenant. So it's at that point, this is what is happening here. Now, the, the, these five kings are saying, let's go attack Gibeon. Let, let's take them out because they're going to be, they're aligned with the, you know, with the Hebrews already. And, uh, and let's attack them. Now, this gives us some insight, too. How many of you, when you came to Christ, if you didn't like grow up in the church, but even then you'll find this to be the case. But when you come to Christ, that all of a sudden um, you have a target on your back. That, that somehow it seems like oftentimes the people that you have been friends with, the people that you love and, and so forth, all of a sudden they'll turn on you because you became a Christian. That happens often. Not to everyone, but it happens often. And, and because there's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of God's great, you know, of God's son, there's, there's only two kingdoms. And you're either on one side or the other. This is how Jesus said it. You're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground on that. You're for me or you're against me, and uh, you can't say, well, I'm kind of in the middle. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I kind of believe in God, and I believe in Jesus and Buddha, and I think they're all good, and everybody's fine, and I'm fine there, so I'm kind of, I'm not an enemy of Jesus. And Jesus would say, no, 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 that's not true. And the scripture actually says that we were enemies of God 
Because if you're not for him, you're working against him, even if you don't know it. You're working against him. And so oftentimes, that's when the attacks come. Someone comes to Christ. I remember when I came to Christ, and I shared the story before. I'm not going to go in detail, but all of a sudden, drugs became free. I think, like the next day, I, I accepted Jesus. The next day, my buddies call me and says, hey, let's get high, and it's on us. I didn't, what? And I became much more handsome. The girls liked me more. They were attracted. They wouldn't give me a second look before, and now I became extremely handsome. It's since gone away, but... <laughs> point. You see, everything... Everything... The, the enemy recognizes he wants to keep you. He, he does... And this is what's happening to the Gibeonites, right? They've, they've come over, they made an alignment with the people of God, and now they're the focus of the attack. And so, it says in verse 5, Therefore, five kings of the Amorites, everybody say five kings. Because we're going to get there. It's important. Five kings of the Amorites, the king of all these kings guys <laughs> they, they encamped before Gibeon and made war against it and the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal saying do not forsake your servants come up to us who dwell in the mountain uh, mountains have, have gathered together against us so the Gibeonites are they're taking advantage of their covenant they have a covenant with, with Israel and the God of Israel. And they're taking advantage of the covenant. Someone's attacking us. Come help. Believers need to take more advantage of your covenant. You have a covenant with God. You have a covenant of, of God's love and protection and all these promises that God... We sometimes, we just don't even take advantage of the covenant. Sometimes we act like we don't even have... God as our, our Savior, Lord, Healer, Deliverer, Strong Tower, Peace. We, we act like we don't have that God on our side. And he is on our side. And we need to, to call upon the God and take advantage of the, the covenant that we have in Christ. We have this new covenant the, in the blood of Jesus Christ. Keeps us washed clean and pure before a, a holy God. We have this covenant made by by, by God, that by his stripes you were healed. We have this covenant made by God. We need to take advantage of the covenant that God's given us. And so, it says that they cry out and they say, help us and save us. And verse 7 says, so Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And what they don't know and what we don't know is that when we fight for others, we end up fighting for ourselves. They will benefit helping the Gibeonites. They're going to help the Gibeonites. They do not know. It's not that there's no motivation for themselves at this point. They're going to help the Gibeonites. But what they're really doing is helping themselves. And church, when you battle for others... 
when you get in the war to help others, when you press in for other people who have needs in, in their life, you will be helping yourself. You enter into a place where God will bless you while you're helping others give, and it will be given to you, the scripture says. Pressed down, running over, shaking together, and overflowing as you give and you help others. Verse 8 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Isn't that the way the Lord says it? Uh, it, it, it? He uses past tense for something that hasn't happened yet. The, the scripture says, he says, speak those things that are as, uh, as if they, you know, that, that haven't, but he speaks them as they have happened. And so he says, he says, I've delivered it into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Now this is what takes place here. God told them you have it, but they still use a strategy. And I don't know if God told them to do this or not to do this, but this is what they did. They, 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 they look like they're going to camp and out and then maybe march the next day and finally get there. So the, the uh, five, you know, the five uh, kings are... They're comfortable, the, their armies are comfortable, that the Jews aren't going to be there, so they're relaxing, you know, they're far away, they're, they're about seven, eight miles away, and, um, and they march all night, and they get there. Question, when have you marched all night for someone else? When have you gone the extra mile? In spiritual battle, I actually am very proud of our congregation because we have this prayer that goes out. In fact, I don't. It's a, the, the men's prayer group sends out a prayer uh, request, but we're, we also have a, a prayer chain in our church, and we people send in their prayers. And I'm amazed how many people will go to prayer. It's wonderful, but not everybody. And you might not even know about it, but it's really not about our prayer list anyhow. It's really about the fact that as God would, how, how often have you said, I've got to go to prayer for that, and you've made it extended. You've pressed in. You've gone to battle for not somebody in your inner circle. I think all of us tend to do that. I'm talking about for those people who aren't. People that are, you know, I, I really, I really don't think the news, either written or, you know, or online or however you get the news. I don't think the news is for you and me to know more about what's going on in the world. I think it's a great prayer list. I think it's, it's there. So listen, this is the benefit that we do not take advantage of. That there are things that come to us around the world and it gives us opportunity to pray. Do you ever just stop and pray? You, you'll see something on news, something's happening, this place. Some of it's because there are people who are in need. Sometimes it's because somebody is doing a bad thing and we want, you know, and we press in and, and, and stop it in the name of Jesus. We press in. This is, this is the kind of spiritual life that we should be living out in, in this battle of the kingdoms that we're part of. 
Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. There's a spiritual process of, of battling, of fighting. And we need a little fight to us. We, we need to know that we have this authority and this power. And, and some of this, and you, you can see the, how it translates into our own personal lives. If we have problems, we have addictions, we have sin in our life, we've got to deal with that too. It's not allowing that to go. That's part of the battling that takes place as well. And there's spiritual warfare in that. But, but I think there's a whole realm that is just ignored in the, in the kingdom of God that the church, and if the church would rise up and understand its power and its ability and start battling, this world will be different. It will be different. And I'm telling you, we don't take up that enough. I was, we were talking with the guys because um, uh, Al had spoken yesterday. Some of the guy, you guys were there. And it really was kind of in this uh, arena about spiritual warfare. And so, me, so I don't have time to talk about all of it. But I had brought up the fact, because he had talked about a situation where um, spiritual warfare went in and stopped really this this promotion of uh, financial support of uh, abortion clinic that eventually went out of business as there was spiritual warfare and this one church took it up. We've done that. I, we, we went, I remember when we as a church decided, we prayed and we asked for God to give us, to, to reveal to us three things. We, I don't know if we said three, but the things of, of places of spiritual uh, strongholds in in our community. We were, it's when our building was in Fullerton. And uh, one was uh, a kind of a, um, a bar called Ichabod's. And we felt like that we need to pray. And then the other one was an adult bookstore. That's when they had adult bookstores back then. Now everybody has an adult bookstore on their phone. And, um, and the third one was an abortion clinic. And we went... People are looking. We, we have a, we need to, we need a big slice of water. <laughs> um, don't jump up and grab it, okay? Scare us. Um, point, let's get back. We're going to edit that part of the tape. Um, oh, the, thir the third one was an abortion clinic. And so we went. And we went and we walked around it, the church. We had a prayer meeting. We walked around them, all three of them. We prayed. And then we invited everybody at any time, you guys go, just go and pray. Maybe go to sit in the parking lot, pray, whatever, and do this. The, with, within two weeks, two, two weeks, um, the um, Ichabod's closed. Within a I think it was a month to six weeks. I can't get, but it was in, within that time frame, um, uh, four to six weeks, the uh, adult bookstore burnt down. It wasn't us. <laughs> <laughs> then within six months, they closed down the abortion clinic. They were busted for putting fetal tissue in the trash can. And closed it down. All three of those places within six months. As we went around and we 
curse that in Jesus' name. We break the bonds. We break the lies. We break it in Jesus' name. We took spiritual warfare. I'm just saying that the church, we have this power. We just don't recognize it. We ignore it when the opportunities are there for us. And I've got to move much quicker. Okay. So the Lord says, you know, don't fear them. And then verse 10, it says, So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with great slaughter in Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Ezekah and Mekedah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent to Beth Haran that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. And there were more that died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Here's the point. When you fight for God, God fights for you. God, God raises up in battle with you when you battle. And so... I mean, I've heard commentators try to argue that, that those hailstones, it was just kind of an accident that, that they ran into hailstones, except for the hailstones only hit the enemy. They didn't hit Israel. But I want you to notice what happens next. Joshua ten twelve. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord. So Joshua's having a conversation in the day when the Lord delivered up Amorite before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, son, stand still over Gibeon and the moon in the valley of Ejelon. So I want you to see two things here. And we're going to come back to it in just a second. Son, stand still. He says, and moon stands still, but I want you to notice it says he spoke to the Lord first. Those two things. Let me come back to it. A lot of people get hung up with this miracle. In fact, I've heard people say, well, that's impossible because if the, first of all, the sun isn't going around the earth, the earth is going around the sun. Okay, we get it. But we say the same thing, right? We, that's how we say The sun rose this morning. Anybody say that? You liar. <laughs> the sun didn't set. The sun didn't rise. We're moving. Okay, got the point. But, but here's, here's where people, well, you know, it's impossible. I mean, if the sun, if the earth stopped, it's at the equator, it's going 1,000 miles an hour. You stop at 1,000 miles an hour, everybody's flying off. <laughs> the oceans would cover the land. I mean, it's impossible. You can't, it, it just doesn't work. So I, I don't believe it. And so people come up with, in fact, there's about 15 theories about that. People who believe the Bible, but the, they have their other, other theories. And my theory about this is that that um, actually the sun stopped, uh, the earth stopped, and it extended, extended the day. You say, Rick, how could you believe that? I believe a lot of things that God does. This is what I believe. I believe the God who created physics can suspend it. I, I think he can. I, and I think it's really, it's out of our ignorance 
that we believe some miracles and we don't believe others? Think about this. If you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead after being dead for three days. You know how many cells are in the human body? Right? A hundred trillion cells. Now, here's the point. Every cell that died had to be resurrected. It had to come alive. It had to have died. And and cells are extremely complex. They're not simple. No such thing as a simple cell. They're extremely complex. Every one of them died, had to, in fact, be revived for Jesus to resurrect. It's actually impossible. See, we, we look at some of you, well, he fed 5,000 with a couple fish and lo- loaves of bread. Yeah, I can believe that. I believe in miracles. Well, if you can believe that, if you can believe those miracles, why, why don't you just take the whole bunch? They all are impossible. They all take the same thing. God has to suspend the laws of physics. And if he can't do that, then he is not God. The laws of physics are. If he can't go outside of, you know, the, 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 the natural laws, then he's subject himself to them. He's not outside them. He's not beyond them. But the God of the Bible is greater than them. And he, that, I have no trouble with that. Because he's pretty big and powerful. So, okay. I have to do that at least once a service. <laughs> Point. I said, I want, you, I want you to hear. Joshua spoke to the Lord, and then he said, he said, he prayed, he spoke to the Lord, and then he said, got that? Spoke to the Lord, and then he said, Jesus said, whatsoever you desire when you pray, believe. Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, what? You say to this mountain, wait, 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 we got that. We got to have that wrong. That couldn't have been Jesus. Because what we're only supposed to do is talk to Jesus and ask him to move the mountain. Right? Isn't that the way? Jesus moved the mountain? But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, speak to this mountain. So when you pray, you believe, and you say. When you pray and believe and say. Now, this has been misused, and so what we've done is we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. This is how we throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's this name it and claim it group that says, I claim that yacht. That's mine. I speak it into existence for me. And we, that, that really, those who study the Bible would go, ah, that doesn't kind of fit with uh, what the scriptures say. It doesn't fit with 
So what we do is we throw out the babe with the bathwater because the scripture does say that when we pray, that there is a place for speaking what we know God has responded to with a yes. If God has told us, then we, in fact, speak. I want to ask you a question. You answer it yourself. I'm not even going to answer it. If Joshua didn't stand and say to the sun, sun stand still, and moon stand still, would it had have stand still? Would it have had stood still? I'll let you answer that. Was he, in fact, participating in what God had already said he would do in the process? But the process had to come through him. Would they have gotten the land of Israel if they would not have done something to partner with God in getting it? Even though God says, I've given it to you. And the answer is no. The answer is no. So there is a participation in this. And one of the things that we participate, we have to understand when it is time to say, sun stand still. We have to understand when is the time to declare what God has said is going to take place. And we need to do it. And it's not in my mind. It's saying it, speaking it, proclaiming it. This is totally biblical, folks. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Okay, you're not going to claim your, your next Ferrari by faith. But don't throw out this whole element. In fact, you live by this every day that you say you're a Christian. Every time you tell someone you are a follower of Jesus or you are a Christian, you're making a statement of faith. Because let's be honest, we don't all look like Christians or act like it all the time. That is a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. You need to, we need to operate in that because that is part of spiritual warfare. Okay, I told you that this isn't even the most, this isn't even the center of all of this. Um, so I'm going to move faster. Verse 15 says, Then Joshua turned and all Israel with him to the camp of Gil Gilgal, and these, but these five kings... Everybody say five kings. This is the reason. It is, this, the title of this chapter is not when the sun stood still. It's about these five kings. These five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave of Mekeda. And it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Mekeda. And so Joshua said, roll large stoles against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard it. Put him in the cave. Block it off. Then what did he do? He sent them out. And he says, do not say to your, um, your, yourselves, but uh, do not, do not sta stay there yourself, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. So what you're going to do is you're going to throw the kings you're going to throw those who are in charge in a cave. You close the cave. Now go get the enemy. Now go get the rest of them. Deal with them. And it says, and it says in verse 20, And it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them, 
with the very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities. We'll come up to that in a couple of weeks that are really important and how that relates to us. But right now it says, and all the people returned to the camp to Joshua Micada in peace and no one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings for me from the cave. And so they did and brought out those five kings to him from the cave and the king of Jerusalem and Hebron and Jeremoth and Lachish and Egdalon. So it was when they brought out the, those kings to Joshua that Joshua called all, for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings and they draw, uh, and they drew near and put their feet on their necks. And I'm going to tell you who these five kings represent for us. But I want you to see what the Bible tells us in, in Psalms 110.1. It says, the Lord said to, to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Your enemies your footstool. That's talking about Jesus. That's Jesus. And then Colossians 2.15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This was, the, this was kind of the pattern or the custom of kings in those days. They would defeat their enemy, they would take the enemy king, and they would stomp on their neck and then kill him. That's what they did. They'd stomp on their neck and kill him. It was a show of dominance. I dominate over this. Joshua says, take them out. And instead of, Joshua doesn't do it. Joshua's not the one. By the way, in this, at this point, it, Joshua's, you know, his name is Yeshua, Jesus. His, his name. He, he isn't Jesus, but he represents Christ in this. And he doesn't do it this time. What he does is he has his leaders come and do it. And he tells them not to be afraid to do it. Don't be afraid. I want you to do this. I want you to stomp on their neck. Then we're going to kill them. And then they throw them in a cave and they close up the cave for good. Because they don't rise from the cave. Only Jesus does. So he has happened. What is he doing? He's teaching them something. He's teaching them to dominate. See, that's kind of sad and gruesome and all of that. This is a point for us to learn. You see, what Joshua is doing is kind of like I saw this special where they had uh, killer whales, and they would the killer whale would catch the seal, and they would kind of injure the seal so it couldn't get away too far. And then they would flip the seal with their tail and flip it over to their baby killer whale. And the baby killer whale would try to, you know, act like the big one and try to, they, you know, attack it, but they didn't know what they're doing. So the seal would get away a little bit and the killer whale would throw it back. And, um, and eventually the baby was learning how to hunt, how to take care of himself. And somebody just... I can't believe you're talking about these poor seals. <laughs> hey, it's no different than us going to In-N-Out Burger. Come on. 
Okay, so the point is simply this. They, they, that what Joshua is doing is he's, he's saying, dominate. Who are they dominate? Who are these five kings? They're the planners. They're the organizers. They're the leaders who are sending out their cohorts to do the work. And we face that same. There are these kings, if you would, these dominating spirits that need to be bound. And then you take out whatever else needs to be done. You, you, but you bind them. The, the Bible says you and I have the power. Listen, it's one of the keys of the kingdom. And that is the power of, of binding and loosing. In the spirit, we bind and loose. There are spiritual entities that need to be dealt with. And you, you have to learn how to do this spiritual warfare. And if you're not aware of it, then you, it, just, it just goes on. And what he's teaching them is how to take and dominate. And it's not our power. It's the Lord's power. I'm not saying that we just go wide, you know, willy-nilly. Going, but as notice this. When he found out where it was coming from, and that's what he had to do first. He had to find out where the kings were. When he found out where they were, they captured them and put them in a cave. When you find out where it is, you speak against, you come and you bind it in the name of Jesus. And that doesn't mean you're casting demons out of your refrigerator or whatever else because it's smelling. Um, it, 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 it's not that kind of thing. We're talking about you're hearing the, the Lord and you get a sense of where this is and what is this entity and you come against it in the name of Jesus. You bind it and you dominate it. You do the work. You bind it and then you dominate. How do you dominate? Well, you dominate because now you're going to, you're, you're, as you're praying, as you're being alert, as you're using the word of God, there's weapons that are going out and you are causing the kingdom of darkness just to, to run. That's why you want to be on the offense. And we can do that. We can do that. But there's too many Christians hiding out in a cave themselves. You know, just don't get me. Don't get me. I just pray, God, you just will protect us. God, just protect us. And Jesus said, hey, get out in the war. Stop make, start making a difference out there. Put the enemy at run. You know, put him at, at, on the defense. Put him at bay. Cause him. Let me tell you, when, when Joshua came into the camp and they, their armies came, all those armies, they weren't thinking about Gibeon anymore. They could care less. They were, all they were was running for their life. And in that, in, in a similar way, we we take authority in the name of Jesus, and I want to encourage you to do that. Today, you'll have opportunities. The Holy Spirit will put things in your mind, people, places. I mean, don't let them pass. Think about what's going on. Have you been brokenhearted? about what's happening in Afghanistan, that there are Christians there. There are people running for their life. There are those who have partnered with us that they're going to be absolutely annihilated. 
right now, that country is being devastated. They go from one city to the other. They rape all the women there or kill them. I don't, want to, I don't need to bring up any more heartbreaking, but, but when you hear or when you think about those things, you pray. In the name of Jesus, we come against that in the name of Jesus. We bind the work of darkness there in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for, for escape for those who, Lord, are, are running for their lives, for the Christians that are there, the few Christians. I know there's not a lot, but Lord, I pray that you'll protect them and cover them and bring them through. Lord, let the gospel be spread in Jesus' name. There are Christians right now that went to Afghanistan in order to preach the gospel. They're there right now. Because they understand, hey, we need, we, we're, we're not on defense. We're on the offense in Jesus' name. Father, thank you. The victories that you give us, Lord, let them just bring us to a place as, as we stomp, as we put our our foot down on the neck of the enemy that, Lord, we will become more courageous. Lord, we'll become more courageous in standing and using the gifts and abilities you've given us. Lord, using the weapons of our warfare. Lord, in fact, I pray, God, your word says that you teach our hand to war. Many of us, even as we're talking about spiritual warfare, we have no clue what that means or how we can even do it. Lord, help us to learn. May you teach us, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen. Let's worship. Yeah.
name.